Welcome to Coffee and Change. I'm Bill Kirst. As a business professional, a U.S. veteran, a lifelong learner, and an active listener, I help others navigate, understand, and adapt to our ever-changing workplace and world. As a third culture kid, I call many places home. Presently, Seattle is where I explore my creativity through the power of words and images. In this podcast, we journey with our guests, gaining knowledge and inspiration from their stories. Today's story comes from Nick Ferriolo, a certified professional coach and Energy Leadership Index Master Practitioner. Nick's journey is one where he faced many situations and challenges that were life-altering. Nick realized how his past experiences and his ability to bounce back from them gave him the passion to help others facing similar challenges. He helps his clients identify how their past experiences have formed beliefs that are holding them back and he works with them to re-engineer those beliefs so they can achieve greatness. This was a great conversation with Nick, and I hope you enjoy the lesson. Good morning, early morning for you. Um, I'm, my name is Nick Ferriolo. I'm the owner of Elm City Coaching. Um, I'm a core energy coach and a corporate coach and trainer. And I also do put some public speaking on um, my transition in the workplace. And we'll talk, we'll jump in that later, I'm sure. So a core energy coach, you know, I help my clients identify past experiences that are blocking them from moving forward with their goals today. Um, my sweet spot is that inner critic. I call it the gremlin, that inner chatter. And I help my um, clients re-engineer their mindset. So they turn that gremlin into a cheerleader. And boy, is it magical because my, I, my gremlin, it was a part-time job listening to my gremlin. And now magically he comes in and he goes out, but he's not, you know, he doesn't stay. Thank, thank God. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the image of the gremlin is such a powerful one for me, Nick, because I remember as a child of the eighties, I remember the movies gremlins. Um, mm-hmm. and I remember there was a part of that script or that movie where, um, I think it was, you don't feed them after midnight <laughs> and you don't put them in wa- near water. And I always found that really interesting later on when people would use this concept of the gremlins kind of take over our thoughts because uh, it, it, always, it always felt like we take these thoughts into sleep, into evening, into, and that's that aspect of don't feed it after midnight, right? Like don't let yeah. it dictate uh, and take over after midnight. Exactly. And what feeds this gremlin is your intuition, interpretations, your assumptions, um, some limiting beliefs that you might have heard when you were growing up. You know, uh, you have to you have to work hard for your money. Um, you know, showing emotion is a sign of weakness. You know, interpretations that small that quick story you make up. If if your boss is walking into a conference room and you go to it, say, hey, what's going on? And he doesn't reply. He doesn't look at you. Oh, my God, something happened. He's mad. You know, that kind of quick story and um, assumptions because it happened before. It'll happen again. And that's what feeds the gremlin. Yeah, absolutely. So you had mentioned core energy work. And for those that 
you would kind of, you know, explain a little bit about that. Um, can you can you um, expand on that a little bit for those that may not know about that? And then the other part of that is how did you get into this work? Okay, so let's do the benefit. I'll talk about, um, you know, the benefit of core energy coaching. You know, again, I help my clients identify their desired goals, and I'm highly skilled um, at working with those clients to break through any blocks achieving those goals. And again, discovering their past experiences that have formed beliefs that are holding them back. And I do re-engineer. So it's going deeper than, um, you know, like some, you'll, you'll go to a coach and you'll say, you know, this is the goal that I want to, I want to set and, and actions, you need actions to get to the goal. Well, I go a little deeper than that because your mindset is going to inform you to take those actions. So it's what is, you know, why are you blocked? Yeah. And when when you think about mindset, there's been a lot of, a lot of probably publications, discussions, thought leadership of the past, I'm going to say five to 10 years around growth mindset um, and this ability for people to always be a student, if you will. And um, the concept that there's, you're never really done learning and growing. Um, Simon Sinek has a great book that I finished last year called The Infinite Game. And this aspect of nothing's really finite when it comes to mindset and your ability to learn and grow. Um, and so when you think about people's mindset and you think about what holds them back, you had, you had listed a few of those things, assumptions, uh, previous experiences, trauma, I imagine, mm-hmm. is a big one. Um, what what attracted you to this work? Okay, uh, this is a good story. Yeah, because you've got you've got a, a, a fascinating past. You had about three decades in corporate America, right? Yeah, I had. You know, I st- you know, it's, the funny thing is, is when I st- graduated high school, I didn't have not not have an option to go to college. It just wasn't there for me. So I started my corporate career as a shipping clerk, and knew that this was going to be. Uh, you know, I would have to get you know, uncomfortable, I would have to get comfortable with the uncomfortableness of, you know, not having a college education, where am I going to go? So I put it on that I'm going to do, I'm going to do everything I possibly can to grow myself in the corporate America. So I ended my career as a senior leader of manufacturing supply chain, um, ran two organizations for a supplement company owned by um, Procter & Gamble. And through them, seeing my kind of like how I empowered teams and how I empowered people would send me people to coach. And the first guy was a warehouse guy and he, he, was, he raged in the warehouse and the senior, senior uh, VP of operations said, hey, Nick, listen, any way you could talk to him. Dude comes to my office. He's all schmuckatelli he's sitting back and, you know, he's like, well, you know, if I, if I work, you know, if I work for you, I said, if you work for me, you would probably be fired right now. I said, what, why are, what's going on with what, what's, what's that thought right before where they push my buttons? Everybody's pushing my buttons. Okay. You created that button. So let's talk about the button. Well, I took him from PIP to promotion. He was promoted uh, about five months after and how he had the courage to be so vulnerable as to dig deep and say, yeah, this is what I'm bringing to the game. It's just like, it's just like that energy leadership assessment that I do. How are you showing up on a great day on a good day of your life? When you wake up, everything's okay. 
You know, are you a caregiver, collaborator, genius thinker? And then what happens when stress is introduced? What's your energetic stress reaction? Mine, I was a collaborator, caregiver, all nice and nice. And then when one stress, 80% level one victim, I lose. Everybody is against me. And that was formed by past experiences that if I didn't win in, in the corporate America, I was going to lose my job. Because listen, I've been discriminated against in corporate America since I was even identifying as a lesbian. I was fired because I wasn't dressing feminine enough. And, you know, I, I, I constantly felt that discrimination, but had the, the drive just to keep moving forward. So the coaching um, was because I, I, how I felt after these, these guys left my office and how people could become vulnerable with me was it was a gift. Yeah, there's two things that you hit on that um, that I'd love to to kind of spotlight here. One is the button. You talked about the button. Sometimes yep. we don't even know <laughs> that button. And, yeah. and secondly, those buttons are often not our own. They're placed upon us by something and then we're completely unaware of them. So that's one thing I'd love to dig in. And then the other one I'd like to sort of put a pin in and come back to is you described the victim role, which reminds me a lot of um, something called the drama triangle, which is what I learned about maybe two or three years ago um, when I was doing a lot of study with uh, a teacher around the Enneagram. And, and the drama triangle, for those that don't know, uh, the three parts of the triangle are hero, victim, and villain. And it was such a simple but transformative tool for me because yeah. we realized that on any given day and at any given moment, we are in one of those positions. And the question becomes, what can you do for yourself to actually step off the triangle or out of the triangle when exactly. we've actually never been shown a way to right. step off it? Um, so I'd love to talk about that a little bit, but let's get back to the button for a second. Cause you, it was such a good image that you put out there that this, this gentleman who was raging had a button. And you asked the question, not what hit the button, what formed the button? Exactly. What is the button? Yeah. You know, and, and, and what I would do, first I said, I said, when outside of work, okay, now I'm peeling the onion. Outside of work, when does that happen? Out, when does people push your buttons outside of work? Well, doing this, this, this. Okay, when's the earliest you remember that button? Well, you know, when I was in high school, blah, 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 blah. And I'm telling you, I'm so proud of this guy. I mean, you know, the work he did. And then another gentleman, older gentleman, he was in his uh, late 40s. And people would, you know, just pick on him at work because he was just a cranky old guy. And he actually sat in front of me my, our first session and cried. Just cried. You know, and it was because nobody liked him. And that went all the way back to that. You know, so it's... um like you said that, you know, the victim, you know, the, I, you know, I work with seven levels. I work with, you know, I lose, I hate myself. I win, you lose, I hate you. That's level two. Level three is, you know, I win, you could, you could win two um, and I forgive you. And then you win and then I win. And then all that um, we both win. And then there's the seventh energy is nobody wins or loses. It's all an illusion. Exactly. The infinite game. <laughs> and that's what happened with me when, you know, 
when I'm talking about when I went into victim for everything, you know, you bring yourself everywhere you go. So when people go, I'm just going to change my job at this, this company, you know, is no good. Well, you're going to bring yourself to the next job. So in order for you to be, you know, because that doesn't feel good when you're a victim, the world's against you. How, you know, I, I work with that, those seven levels and doing that um, energy letter, leadership assessment. You know, I took the Enneagram. I forgot what number I was, I have, you know, but everybody would, would ask, what's your number? And I would go seven. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the next person I'd say, you know, four. And then, oh, yeah, you're a four. And that kind of, you know, they're all great tools, but they put you in a box to say, okay, you're here and that you're going to be the best you could be here. The energy leadership is an attitudinal uh, assessment. So how do you show up? And it, it's magical for me, in order for me to get my master's practitioner license, I had to give it five times and then I had to um, take it five times. And what it, what it, you know, there's 84 questions, it takes about 20 minutes. And then there's an hour debrief and you go through each level with, with the client and you say, okay, how does that show up in your world? Well, for me, when part of that debrief says stress is a, is a, is an illusion, it's your perception just in the nick of time, pardon the pun that, <laughs> that I got the phone call when I was on teams with the, you know, senior VP of HR and the site manager. And I knew it wasn't going to be a good thing. And who told me that, you know, after 13 years with this company, my role was eliminated along with 39 other people, you know, I could see their struggle. I actually coached them through the call. I was like, what happened to you? I was waiting. I'm like, where am I? Because I would have never thought that I would be able to be okay with it. But what was going to happen if I wasn't okay with it? What was going to change? I wouldn't be sitting here today talking to you if I went into victim. I wouldn't have started Elm City Coaching. I wouldn't have did, did this networking and really put my all into it. I would have been going, woe is me. The world's against me. I'll never amount to anything. Very powerful stuff. Yeah, I think it's interesting how you describe even in a moment where someone is delivering what is essentially pretty transformative news, right? Your, your job is eliminated. You ended up coaching them through that experience. So am I, am I right in understanding that I'm, my mind is just going to like, you know, there's HR on the phone, there's some of the, you know, benefits people, like people that have the boss maybe, and they're trying to go through this conversation and having been through that myself in your shoes, I know how awkward that is. And I was on the other side so many times. Right. You know, the woman started crying. That's mm -hmm. how they didn't want to do it. And, you know, they didn't kick me to the curbs. They gave me a severance package. But even so, they were like, we've never, I've done 2,000 of these things that I've never, ever, ever seen this reaction and how, how you reacted to it. Well, what good would it have been for me if I went the other way? I was so happy. I was, that was a lot of stress, that job running two organizations. You know, but Procter and Gamble changed my career for the better. You know, with you know, I transitioned in the workplace. Bullying was horrific to the point where I almost ended my life. And they came in and honored who I was and said, you know what, could you help facilitate a transgender support call once a month that, that they actually have for their employees and parents of you know? And that, so that so win-win when I left there. How could I be how could I be angry at a company that just gave me so much empowerment? Absolutely. Yeah, I would love to to hear a little bit of that story because that's that's a huge um, part of your life, 
right? Yeah. This, the aspect of transitioning in the workplace. And as you, as you mentioned, sort of the three decades in corporate America, this has not always been the way it is received now by companies like Procter and Gamble, like companies like Apple and IBM and Amazon yeah. and others, right? These are places and, and workspaces where, <clears throat> excuse me, your, your full authentic self is, is celebrated and, and um, upheld. What was that experience like for you over, over the course of your, your own journey while in the halls of corporate America? It was scary and empowering at the end. You know, I tell, I just spoke in front of SHRM, which is a national um, HR organization, the chapter in the Monadnock area. And I told my transition story and I told some uncomfortable stories. I mean, here's the thing. At a young age, I knew there was a disconnect, but I didn't know what to call it. And then I was labeled a tomboy and I was like, okay, that's what it is. And then, then I met my first lesbian. I was like, okay, that's what it is. And then I was kind of very masculine. And I said, you know, Dyke saved my life that, that, you know, and all Dykes wanted to be dudes. So that's what it was. I always, I always had a male brain always. And, um, then it took the love of my life leaving me. And when I met this woman, she immediately you know, said male pronouns to me, called me a nickname. And again, it wasn't Nick at the time. She never called me my birth name. And through that breakup, I was like, what? And I felt complete for the first time. So I was like, bingo was his name. Oh, okay, fine. Now, how am I going to come out to at work? And I was working for a company in the area that was notorious for being a hard company to work for. Let me say that kindly. But I had one of the best leaders. Still a friend, still friends with him. And I went into his office one day and I said, listen, um, I got to go to court. I'm changing my name to Nick and I'm starting my transition. And he goes, oh, okay. Without a blink of an eye, he didn't judge or anything. Go get my name changed, come back to work. All hell broke loose there. I mean, seriously, the story of a customer service bullpen calling me to chat with me. You know, I worked with them. I was a buyer planner. And for them to say, you ask him, her, him, you ask. And they, what they asked me was, I just changed my name like three days prior. They asked me if I still got my period. So thank you, whoever gave me the sense of humor I have to get me through my life. I said, no, actually, I get an explanation point now. And I walked away. <laughs> really? That's amazing. Then, so then I started working for this uh company that I just ended. Procter & Gamble had nothing to do with it. And it was a great company. I was so excited. I was finally going to start a job as Nick and with a company that's diverse and yay, I couldn't wait. The bullying was even worse. Really? Really? Tell me more. Um, I was asked if, you know, if I was asked if I had a penis. I was being treated horribly. Like, um, my leaders were treating me horribly. They were picking, 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 picking. It was a scary thing. Listen, I had to walk in that corporation, that company, those doors every day and betray myself every day. I couldn't say anything back. I needed that job. It was me. It was me and my deaf cat Floyd. There was no way that he was going to get a job. So I had to, you know, support myself. I almost took my life one day. I said, you know, I'm going, some guy goes, uh, manager calls me in his office and says, you know, everybody hates you here. Do you know that? And I sat, um, and remember going back to my desk saying, how am I going to survive now? I can't go back. I ha this is who I am. On the way home, I almost took my, my car and drove and just 
like for a split second, I thought, just drive off the road. They're going to think a squirrel or a chipmunk in front of your car because, you know, they're not, never going to think you did it yourself. But because of that cat, Floyd, okay, he was a cranky, toothless, deaf cat. Nobody was going to love him but me. And um, I didn't. But I didn't leave that apartment, eat my apartment for like the whole weekend. And I went back on Monday. Um, some Another a woman, she was a VP. She goes, are you okay? It kind of looked like I wasn't. Could I trust her? And I said, no, I'm not. And I'm glad I did. And it, just when Procter and Gamble was acquiring us, they let two people, they fired two people. They saw who I was. The person that I get emotional talking about is my first leader from Procter and Gamble who said, this company doesn't even see who you are because they're so into this transgender thing. We're going to rebrand you. And then they gave me another organization because they saw how I built teams, you know, win-win. What did I learn? I learned that people really, you know, are, they say things that I would never, ever, ever say to somebody to their face. I learned that um, I was strong because I, when I look back, I even now I go, how the hell did you do it, dude? How did you do it? How did you take, take all that stress? How, how did you not just break? You know? How, you know, I look back and I have to thank everybody. Like I always say, the person that punched me the, the, the hardest is the person I learned from the most. That relationship that broke me, I look back now and thank her. She knew me before I did. She knew immediately my soul. So now when I looked, I used to look back at sad, be very sad. She gave me 20 minutes to move out. I was living in a hotel. That's a whole other podcast, okay? <laughs> but that horrible ending. It was, a, was the beginning of a beautiful growth for me, you know? And so how could you look back? And again, with the mindset, and now I don't have that heaviness behind me. You know, I got over her long, long, long time ago, but it was that sadness and betrayal that I felt that I could not, I could not release. Yeah. I think it's, um, there's, there's a lot I'd love to ask about the first thing that that comes to mind is is that word betrayal. So I'll pick up right kind of where you right where yeah. you left off. There was, I imagine, there was a lot of negotiating with that sense of betrayal, right? Betrayal with a person you were in a relationship with. Betrayal of the of the the commitment that a corporation has to you. Betrayal with a boss or peers that behave differently. With, you know, around you, and then probably just betrayal of, of self, because you, you know who you are, but you have to show up in a way to get through the day. And that balance of how do I stay true to myself? And how do I, how am I allowed to truthfully move through yeah. the day? And I didn't want to be the angry trans guy, mm -hmm. because I wasn't angry. They were hurtful people, you know, asking me if I had a penis. Okay. That's exactly, you know, you know, I, I, you know, um, outing me, outing me, I, everybody pretty much knew before I even walked in that door that about my life, because somebody that I used to work with at that other company was hired there. People would out me within two days. How dangerous is that? And who, what, you know, so what did I do? I had to take control. So I started outing myself so I could control the way my story was being told. Control your narrative. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's something that there has been, 
I think a lot of progress made, but I also am reminded, you know, even in, even in my own story as a gay man who served in the military, I, I remember sharing with people in my own coming out story that, you know, the, the adage is more you're coming along as, as opposed to coming out because you're never done coming out. Mm-mm, that's a good one. That's, I'm going to write that down if you don't mind. Please. Credit goes to my husband. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he used to say that. Like, look, if, if, if you want some finality to this. Not going to happen. Don't fool yourself. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I always say I'll never know how it will, it's ever going to be, you know, to be a cisgender male or female, straight. Mm-hmm. You know, dating is a big thing. You know, I pick all the strays before because who was going to love me? I was a trans guy. And, you know, and, you know, all these women taught me a good lesson. And I don't saint myself after a relationship. I always say, okay, what did you do? You were judgmental, blah, 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 blah. Okay, stop. But I couldn't just go and there's always that conversation. Oh, by the way, you know, I had a lot of hope relationships. A lot of women fell in love with me, but couldn't take that next step. And one of those hope relationships ghosted me after four years. And um, boy, thank you, because I had the, she, she hurt me so bad that I, I was so low that I had no other place to go but up. And I don't, I don't feel the need now to have somebody in my life. Because if you fight for somebody for so long, you think you're going to feel okay once you get them? Uh, you're going to feel like you're going to lose them. And then it's going to be a whole other mind-boggling uh, episode. Yeah, it's so interesting because I've been reading a lot about, you know, essentially what they call the hero's journey, right? Dark night of the soul kind yeah. of stuff. The the journey of kind of initiation and going through and figuring out who you are. And a lot of it points to exactly what you're talking about, which is you have to go through the dark night of the soul. You have to go through the lowest of the low to really understand your bounds yeah where you're where you're boundless and where there are boundaries and i wonder from all the things you've seen all the things you've you've experienced and now working with people to help them through their own journeys how how do you feel that your your own dark night of the soul and again those are my words not not yours but that aspect of this journey for you has really made you successful in this work that you do with other people now because i see it as you're you're kind of the cradler of people's potential i understand how hard it is Mm -hmm. you know so many people could say oh just forget about it you know it's the past let the past go you know all these things you see these quotes on facebook and oh about i know how hard it is. And for years I've heard it. And I had a lot of great spiritual mentors in front of me um, doing the Brene Brown and Byron Katie work and all. It didn't matter what anybody said. It, I just, it didn't click. You know, I embrace the vulnerability and I understand how hard it is. And I champion them through it. You know, I, I, my clients, I'm, I'm here for them even before in between sessions, you know what I'm saying? Let's celebrate. Don't just, don't just connect with me when you're like having a bad day. What did you do? That's wonderful. Champion. Not, there's not enough of that in the world today. We never say, yo, what a great job. Thank you very much. I appreciate you doing that. Really. I really appreciate you. What people get all funny when they have to talk to people that way. 
<laughs> you know? Yeah. The, the joy, the joy part of the human experience is often overlooked a, a little bit. And I agree with you that, that the, the, the frequency that comes with joy, I mean, it is, it's a frequency. You, you feel it. We need to dial that up more. Yeah. Um, as opposed to the, the doom and gloom. And I know, I know the doom and gloom and the, and the bad news sells. And we're kind of programmed. Our brains are pattern-seeking devices, and the first thing we're drawn to is is the bad news because yep. we're trying to assess a threat constantly. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Our, we haven't we haven't evolved that much since the days of saber-toothed tigers. It's <laughs> just rather than a saber-toothed tiger coming at me, it's a bully in the workplace or an email, <laughs> and the brain doesn't right. really have the ability to say, "Oh, don't freak out about this. It's just some petty email from someone." Because the body's already in the in the state of like defense is up, right? Exactly, exactly. You know, and and in the corporate world today, I help you know with LGBTQ plus. Um, I'll go in and, and help if the, if some of an employee is transitioning or just to teach to get have knowledge. You know, we're both part of that networking on Wednesday. You know, I'm doing a um, I'm I'm going to be one of their guest speakers. I'm excited about it. Ten minutes, and I'm going to talk about gender and gender identity to the group. You know, I was going to bring in my gremlin work and, you know, and I was like, should I do this? And the person that runs it goes, absolutely not do this. What a wonderful woman she is. And that's, you know, you know that. Yeah. So I want to teach because I think what people don't understand, when they don't understand, like, listen, to know me is to love me. What if people, but somebody could not like me because I'm just trans and that's it. And that, not because I'm a funny Italian guy. You know what I'm saying? They don't see that. They'll just see the hate of me being something that has nothing to do with them. I mean, like, like at Absolutely all. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and what, and to me, there's such a, there's such a missed opportunity and it is such a shame that somebody is going to miss the vibrant, funny Italian personality, right? <laughs> like they're going to, they're going to skip right past that because of something they, that has nothing to do with them. And really doesn't impact their life at all. At all. But they're choosing to hold on to this one little speck of of something that they see as difference. Listen, and, I don't, you know, I don't judge um, straight people. I don't judge anybody. I mean, it's none of my business what you do. Be kind. That's yeah. the only thing that – be kind. I have a tattooed right on my arm. Mm -hmm. Be kind. Yeah. What, what, who are you related, attracted to? I'm attracted to kindness. What's your religion? Kindness. That's what I always say to people. Just be kind. Yeah. That's it. And it goes a long way. Um, you, don't you don't know really what have somebody's to do anything struggling with. with. You don't know what people are walking around with. You know, it's, it's just, it's, a, I don't know. I, I just, I just say hi, thank you to everybody. I say hi to everybody because when I was my lowest low, Sometimes I didn't talk to anybody for days and I, nobody was saying anything to me. And, you know, if I walked by somebody and they said hello to me, it would have made, it would have made a difference. Yeah. I, I, I think we are at a really interesting place in sort of the journey of mental health, I think as a species, but certainly if we break it down even more in terms of where we're at in the world, you know, here in the United States, um, I, I think it's, I hear more and more stories where that person who stopped to say hello to someone made a difference, right? Shifted somebody's perspective, saw them for a moment in a, in a, in a world that it feels like you can walk through the world and never be seen. 
Yeah. You can, you can walk past a thousand people and nobody sees you. Yeah. Um, I'm curious the 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 lessons of this pandemic and and what they've also taught you and us and those that you've that you've worked with in in the coaching aspect about what I see as this mental health wave. There's yeah. a there's a whole nother wave coming in the in the post pandemic. And so I'd be curious your thoughts on that. Is that something that that you've thought a lot about? I think as you mentioned, you're already talking with organizations like Sherm and others. And, and addressing a lot of the issues around, you know, people getting to be their full selves. And I think there's a big piece of that that comes with vulnerability, authenticity, and mental wellness. So I'd love your thoughts on that. Yeah. You know, I always say, you know, when this f- pandemic first happened for me personally, you know, I, I was not too many people. I don't have too many people around here because I have an anxious dog. So I was kind of like, okay with that. Um, you know, I think when I work with some, some people, when they talk about how lonely they are and, um, but they're not alone, I keep reminding them, you know, maybe take some time. Maybe this was all to everybody to take a deep breath and really look at the world and, and look at their lives and say, you know, when, when, when do I feel joy? Maybe this was the time for everybody to work on and, and everybody had the time to work on when's the last time you, you felt, you felt joy. When I do one-on-ones I, with, with people I network with, first question I ask them, half of them start crying and they say, no, I don't. So that that's, you know, the pandemic for me as you know, it was, it was just a time for me to really focus inward because again, there wasn't too many people coming around. And for my clients, I try to help them, you know, with their stresses because I'm lucky. I'm a single guy. I have a dog. I don't have kids. I don't have kids that are homeschooled and I have a job and my husband has, you know, that kind of stress. How do you, how do you talk somebody out of that? You always have to, you always have to look at what you're grateful for. Well, I'm grateful that I have kids. I'm grateful that I can work from home. I'm grateful that, you know, there's always somebody out there that's way worse than you. And I sometimes try to catch myself. Not that my, my pain isn't real, but I think a lot of people would really be um, wishing for my my stuff now. I mean, there's so many people out of work and not being able to survive. So I kind of try to pause and not react to that stress and I try to help my clients to start re- responding to it, not reacting, not going to that default, you know, that level one triangle, you know, seriously. I mean, if you're doing that for, for years, it almost sometimes feels uncomfortable not to. That's your go-to. So, you know, and then with the HR organizations, I'm doing a, um, I'm doing a avoid becoming a Zoom zombie. Think about it. You know, not only are these people in your house now, but you're looking at yourself more than you've looked at yourself ever. That would be like looking in the mirror for eight hours, you know, maybe four hours a day if you're on in four meetings. You know, when I stopped working, I had my upstairs office in my spare room. I had to sage that room for like days and just not to see the monitor that I had in my, it was crazy. So get out and stop and get away from the computer, put it on speaker view. So you don't have to see everybody. Yeah. I'm so glad that you, you named that zoom zombie. It's really, I mean, I've, I've touched on this a few times in discussions with folks, but 
you you put such a succinct you know wrap around it which is that aspect of staring at yourself more than you've ever looked at yourself in your entire life and there's there's a lot of articles about this that people can look up but it is it's starting to mess with our psyche because what's really interesting as you describe is we go into this default mode network thing where we it just it just goes to a place where we self-criticize and we see our every little move and you're not supposed to know your every eyebrow move like i'm just not supposed to know that <laughs> i mean well, and, and you know here we are talking right and i use my hands all the me time too. me too well you know and italian right yeah for you what's really interesting is people that i've worked with for many years for for a long time they thought i had italian roots and <laughs> I don't have a drop of Italian in me, but what I can share and I often do share with people is my parents and my family lived in Italy twice and there, there were formative years in my life where there were friends and family and my parents both learned to speak Italian fluently. And if I think about the culture and the, the influence I grew up in, there was a lot of Italian influence in there because we love the country. We love the people. We love the food. We love the art. I'm such a history buff. And so what's really interesting is this aspect of talking with your hands just sort of crept in to my, my machinery. And I didn't quite realize it as much until the pandemic, because I used to be in front of rooms, right? Yeah. I used to stand in front of rooms. And when you're in a room and you're talking with your hands, it it can be an extension of a tool, if you will. If you need to point to something or walk around the room, it's not as noticeable. But when you're in Zoom land, yeah. it's very noticeable. <laughs> That's funny. You know, this morning I had a get together with a couple of dudes that own businesses. And it was my first time it was breakfast at a diner. And I was so like, okay, it's seven. What time do I leave? I mean, Zoom is so easy. It's at seven o'clock AM. Okay. So you hit enter. Now I'm like, should I, what time should I leave? It's, it was just a weird thing and to talk, to be around people and talk about everything that I've talked about twice a week for the last, I don't know how many months. Yeah. It was a totally different experience. Yeah. It's, I, I think that's really fascinating. I hadn't thought about that in a while, but that aspect of how much time do I take to get somewhere? <laughs> um, two I minutes mean, to get to your living room. I mean, <laughs> remember on our phones and it, it probably still says it, but it's very confused. Where like with the Google Calendar and the integrations and all that, it was a little bit creepy the first couple of times where, you know, an, an appointment would pop up and it would say, you know, you have coffee with Nick. And it used to actually deduce how far you were from where you were going to have coffee. So it'd say, you need to leave in 20 minutes with traffic if, if you're going to get there on time. And, and you'd be like creeped out by that. Well, now, like. I have no sense of how long it would take me to get it. When we first started like a year ago, there, you know, the, I got like maybe a hundred steps in a day. I mean, <laughs> I'm, and my watch is like, um, are you okay? Are you okay? <laughs> I had an interesting thing happen last week. I was in a lift. And again, this speaks to the technology and the, and the safety mechanisms, which I think are, are really good. It's always a little bit of a balance though. I think that striking that balance between privacy and safety is always important. So imagine I'm in a lift, I'm going to meet a peer for a, a walk and a talk, you know, socially distant walk. And I told her, I'm going to meet you at this coffee shop, and then we'll walk from there. Well, 
the Lyft driver took the way I probably would have recommended him to take. And you cross the railroad track um, to get there. Well, the railroad track is right next to essentially the coffee shop. So I'm on this side of the train track. She's on that side of the train track. And there's a train, a, like a you know an actual freight train that's going by and it stops. And then it reverses and then it continues and then it reverses and then it continues. So I'm texting her from the lift. And I said, hey, I, I need you to know I'm just on the other side of this train. Can you see the train? She's like, yeah. I said, and unfortunately, there's no way for me to get out of this lift and even walk to you because it's crosses like freight train tracks. So she said, no problem. Take your time. Well, I start getting these text messages from Lyft saying, are you okay? We've noticed you've stopped moving, but oh. you haven't reached your destination. Please confirm if you're safe. Wow. If you, you know, and it gave me a couple options. And I, at first I thought, well, that's really, I appreciated it. And then I thought to myself, well, that's kind of creepy, but, but maybe not. Right. Because there are probably people that really like that aspect. Yeah. But it reminds me so much of what movement is now. And we have to remember that, you know, if I'm stopped and this goes back to your point earlier, right? If I'm stopped and I'm not in motion, does it automatically mean I'm in trouble? That's a question, right? Yeah. Go back to the beginning of the pandemic, as you said, staying at home, being isolated, Man. being in solitude, does it equate to I'm in trouble? Not necessarily. No. It may feel like it to begin with. Yeah. But I'm of the I'm of the belief you are. Those days, this these this past year and those early days, that was like a rebirth for me. Yeah. I was able to find space and imagination and fear and hope and dreams i mean people talk about the early days of the the covid dreams right and and not saying that the dreams you had if you had covid just meaning that because everyone was home and we were all pretty slowed down that some people believe kind of in the in the dreamscape we were seeing some of the same dream experiences yeah I and i believe that i mean there were times when people would say have your dreams been really vivid about this yeah actually they have and i feel like you your dream stopped there and then i picked it up here and then wow <laughs> it's I, I felt a sense of quiet like the whole the whole world just went okay okay now we had to do this to get everybody to really look at what you're doing here reset but absolutely yeah. um as we get ready to wind up here i would love for you to just two other things you had mentioned you're doing a lot of um you're doing some talks with sherm and some other organizations so i would love for you to talk a little bit about that and then tell folks about where they can learn about uh, elm city coaching sure. um and the work that you're doing and how to get in touch with you i think i think so much of your story and the work that you're doing and 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 helping people understand the power of vulnerability, the importance of energy, as you said, those seven layers, it's just so fascinating when you, when you break it down for people that at the seventh layer is nobody wins. And yeah, this is all know, an they illusion. Call it seven levels of leadership. I like to call it seven levels of consciousness. 
mm-hmm. because that's what it is. So sure, you know, I talk to organizations and I and I about my my transition story. People need to hear it from somebody that it actually happened. And again, this is my story. Doesn't mean you know it's not a one size fits all. You know, to all transgender employees go through this. But it gives them the opportunity, and you know, listen, we they cry, they pee pee laugh, they you know, it's just like this whole crazy thing. And um, there was a record number that attended that that session, and and I got a lot of really great feedback, and I got a lot of connections that you know, I would love to go into corporate America back as a not only as a transgender employee, but I also could empower you know, people you know employees that are emerging talent that need help. Yeah, everybody could be a manager because you're great at your job, but how do you how do you handle with people, coaching people instead of managing them? And even just like from PIP to promotion, you have anybody that's struggling, you know, hello, people connect with me. I I have that gift. I don't know why. I mean, I think it's because I did go up the corporate ladder that I could connect with the CEO you know, my boss was a COO directly reported to him. He was the first dude in my life that ever said, or anybody don't change anything about you. Okay. And it, had, it took a leader. And then, you know, all the way, all the way to the production floor worker, the entry level worker. I mean, so I think just with the Sherm and the HR groups, they just hear my story and understand, you know, what could I do? So my next thing is how do you support your LGBTQ plus employee? That's another presentation. And what is an ally? That's another presentation. And to group those three together, me coming into an organization and saying, hey, this is what happened. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't angry through it, but I was saddened through it. You know, it almost made, it almost broke me, you know, to getting so empowered and look where I'm doing today. And then for individual coaching, that core energy coaching, let's, let's really go in deep and say, you know, it's so funny, people that, oh, I need to work with you. I need to work with you. Then they get distracted because their life is okay. But that doesn't go away. That that gremlin does not go away. And what are you bringing to the next job, the next relationship, your next whatever is you. So um, elmcitycoaching.com. You could get a complimentary 30-minute session. You could book anything there. It's all done in, in my website. And you know anybody that's looking for some coaching or just wants to get to know me better, there's a 30 minute uh, complimentary session. Thank you, Nick. That um, I really appreciate you sharing that. It's so interesting. There was something I read this morning or I heard this morning that was in a, in a podcast and I'll probably paraphrase it a little bit. It was a quote from um, Stanislav Grof or Stan Grof. Um, and it was essentially the, the full expression of emotion is the funeral pyre of that emotion. And I thought it was so interesting because we live in this really dynamic time where, and I think as 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 a man, it's like one of these things where people say, "Don't show your emotions, <laughs> right? Keep your emotions limiting down." Limiting belief, yep. Limiting belief, but the only way, as you describe, with the gremlins and the emotions, I think to free ourselves um, or integrate—it's a better word to say integrate—versus free yourself because these emotions actually shape us. Like it's part well, of our story. Yeah, the gremlin was there to protect you at one point. Yeah, you're, you're like, yeah, yes, right. Um, you don't want you don't want to completely part with that, no. but integrating it. And I think that's what's so powerful about your story is you as a storyteller have all the emotions. As you said, you've been up the ladder and down the ladder. And yeah. all of those rungs of the ladder have stories and emotions that informed who you are. 
and allow you to help others on their journey as well. Yeah. So I appreciate the time and sharing. Um, I look forward to having people connect with you. Yeah. Well, thank you for the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. <laughs>